Well, I'd like to pray with you just briefly, and, and uh, I want to share some things on my heart that go along perfectly with the theme of what you were just listening to a moment ago. And uh, so why don't we pray for a moment? Dear Lord, as we've gathered together and the Sabbath is approaching, and we want you in this place. We want to talk, Lord, about uh, how we can have your mind and have your spirit do your work. And ultimately, Lord, we want to uh, live forever with you. So please bless, be in this uh, place, Lord, and pray that you bless the approaching Sabbath and all the other meetings going on, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to talk to you about, uh, wait a second, let me back up. Let's start at the beginning. You're alive right now. You don't just think you're alive, you really are. You might think that everyone around you is a figment of your imagination, but they're alive too. You think you're the only one thinking anything, but they're thinking too. So we're all alive. Now, if you have doubts that you're alive, you could put your hand over your chest, see if your heart's beating. Hold your breath for four minutes and see if you pass out. (laughs) And you'll know that you're alive. All right, so let's establish that we all agree with that. Why? Are you alive? That's really important. Because you didn't make yourself. Nobody asked you if you wanted to be alive. You're alive. What's the purpose of your life? You know, I didn't know what that was for the first part of my life. I thought I was a big biological accident. And it was after finding a Bible. I was living in the mountains up in a cave. And and uh, it's a long story I won't tell right now. But... Um, tried to figure out what was the purpose of life, and I tried everything. I can't tell you everything. I mean, I was in drugs and got involved in crime and different religions and traveled around the world, and this is before I was your age, trying to figure out what's, what's the purpose of life. And after all that, I ended up trying to find purpose in nature. And so I went up into the mountains, and I lived in a cave, kind of like a hermit. I was just by myself. I was tired of people and... I just thought I'd see if there was some purpose of life. And uh, while I was up there, I read a Bible that someone had left in the cave. And as a result of reading that Bible, uh, I became convinced this is the truth. I'm going to try it. And as Brother Berdahl was just saying a minute ago, I prayed. And I said, Lord, if you're real, come into my heart, give me a purpose for living. And he did. He began to change things. And then I began to discover what, you know, the biggest battle is? what you think. You are what you think. And that makes a world of difference. Right now, while I'm talking, a thousand ideas are going through your mind. Especially when you're young, your minds are... I know more than you more. I know more than you know, but you think faster than I think. My processor has slowed down. You guys have an upgrade. I got more data, but I've also got a virus in my computer. So I don't think as well (laughs) as you guys think. But you realize how many ideas and thoughts are going through your minds right now while I'm talking? See, right now, you just all heard the door click and you got distracted. And you're thinking about what the people around you are saying and you're thinking, what do they think about me? And you're thinking about how long is this guy going to (laughs) talk? And you're thinking, I wonder if I got left any snacks in my room for after the meeting. And all these things are going around in your mind all at one time. And some of you are chewing gum and you're not even thinking about it. 
You can do that without even thinking. But your whole life and experience is based on what's happening here, behind your eyes, between your ears. And you ultimately will be happy or miserable based on what you think. Now, words are very, very powerful. To illustrate this, um, all right, just picture, if you will, for a moment. Stay with me. Lemon. Big lemon. Big yellow lemon. Fresh, ripe, big yellow lemon in my hand. Imagine. I take the lemon. I put it on a wooden table. Take a big, sharp knife. I cut the lemon in half. But I'm not done. little lemon squirts when I do it. I take the knife and I quarter the lemon. So now there's four parts of that big, juicy lemon. Then I take one section of that lemon and I bring it up to my face. I open my mouth, close my eyes. I take the edges of my thumbs and I reach in between the lemon and the peel and I pull it back so all the pulp is sticking out and I push it up in my mouth and I bite down and I hold it there. All right, now, how many of you find yourself salivating a little bit right now just because of the thought of a bitter lemon? Okay, look at that, look at that. Now, here's a question. Did you ever see a lemon in my talk? Can anyone really smell lemon right now? Maybe in your your mind you can. There's no lemons in the room. I'm pretty sure. But look at what words did. Words are very powerful. What you think can make the difference between what kind of person you are. It will. You will be the sum total of what you think. So, you can make a difference in what you become by what you listen to. It's going to affect your thinking. I can tell you a story right now that will break your heart and make you cry. Make you sad. You won't be at the story. You won't know the people in the story. But just the thoughts and the pictures and the images can make you very sad. I could also tell you a joke right now. I could tell you something funny that happened to me that would just crack you up. I could tell you about last week when I was getting dressed and I realized that something terrible had happened to my body. I gained a bunch of weight and my legs changed shape and I was so upset. I thought I've gotten old. And then I realized that my wife put her pants in my drawer. And <laughs> And I thought, what happened to me? (laughs) See that? You're just all smiling. So what you listen to and what you look at can affect your happiness in life. It can also make you a nice person or it can make you a mean person. It can make you a loving, caring person or it can make you a very selfish person. It can make you like Jesus or it can make you like the devil. You get to choose what you want to listen to, what you want to look at, and that will determine who you become. Now, as you're a baby and you're growing up, your parents are making a lot of those decisions for you, and you're taking stuff in from your friends and from your environment, and that's why most of you, I'm assuming, listen to me speak English, or you're just looking at me right now wondering what this guy's saying, right? Most of you understand English, right? Why? Well, do you want to know the question then, would you? (laughs) <laughs> you, if you understand English, it's because you heard it. And 
it, all those things affect who you end up becoming. But as you get older, you don't have, uh, when you're young, you don't have so many choices. As you, get, as you get older, you get to choose what you're going to read. Sometimes they tell you what to read in school, and your parents might be reading with you in worship. And, but you're going to start making more and more choices of what you look at, what you listen to, who you listen to, and who you look at and what you look at. It's going to affect you. Now, you've heard this already because I heard him just refer to this verse. But um, I want you to know you are the first group I have ever talked to using this thing. I've had it for a while, but I just, it's kind of weird for me because I'm old. Philippians 4, verse 8. We just heard it a second ago. Listen. Finally. When someone says finally, that means we're summing, summing it up for you. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You will be like what you think about, and you will think about what you look at. You'll think about what you listen to. Now, I'm going to tell you a little disturbing story here, and it's, it's not because I'm wanting to get uh, a reaction or anything. I just... I think you need to know this. See, I told you it would take me a second to figure this stuff out. All right, now I'm reading a report. Um, this is a news report. Have you heard of Devin Moore? Imagine an entertainment industry creating a video game in which you could decapitate, that means cut off the heads of police. I'll never forget when I first learned what that word meant. It was in a car accident. And it said that the victim was decapitated. And I said to my mom, what does that mean? Can you imagine a game in which you decapitate police officers, you kill them with sniper fire, you massacre them with a chainsaw, then you set them on fire and laugh? Who would ever buy such a, an awful, violent video game? Well, people do, and they have. It's a game called Grand Theft Auto, and it's sold more than 35 million copies. Worldwide sales approaching $2 billion. A lot of people being entertained by murder, gore, mayhem, bloodshed, violence. Two years ago, a multi-million dollar lawsuit was filed in Alabama against the makers of the game. You know why? Uh, that was a rhetorical question. Let me answer it. Because there's a young man named Devin Moore. Good boy. Good family. Somebody got him that video game or he bought that video game and he started playing the game and playing the game and he became addicted to the game. I guess it's got music that goes with it. I have never played the game. I've never seen the game. I've heard about it. And uh, it just pulled him in. And he got to where he was playing it, trying to get to the next level. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, barely sleeping. Every waking moment, he was playing the game. Good home, never been in trouble with the police. Good kid. And police responded to a call for a stolen car. Well, the name of the game is Grand Theft Auto. And they found that uh, 18-year-old Devin Moore who had played Grand Theft Auto for months now, had uh, stolen a car. The police pulled him over. 
He cooperated with the arrest. They brought him into the police station. He had no record. They had no reason to believe that he'd be violent. And something snapped while he was in there. He grabbed one of the policemen's guns very quickly, pulled it out, shot that policeman twice in the chest and once in the head. There was a, a 911 operator that was behind, a dispatcher that was behind the desk lady, shot her two times, once in the head. Someone came running into the room to find out what had happened. He shot him, killed him, took the keys, got one of the police cruisers, and soon got into a high-speed chase, exactly like the game. They finally surrounded him and pulled him over, and when they asked why he did it, he said, well, you've got to die sometime, which is a quote from the game. Now, what do you think the chances are that playing that game messed with his mind so that he was having problems between the game and reality? You become like what you look at. You become like what you look at. You know why the Bible tells us we're not supposed to pray to idols? Because you become like the God you worship. That's why God said, you know, we're not supposed to make idols of, you know, children of Israel made cows. I can't imagine who in the world would want to be a cow. But uh, or worship a cow. You know, I go to some countries of the world and they think if you're bad and you die, if you're a boy, you might come back like a girl as punishment. That's really what they think. If you're good, you might come back as a cow. They, uh, that's right. Just There are people in India that make offerings. They've got temples built for rats. And they feed the rats. And the rats are swarming everywhere. And they worship the rats. What's that going to do for a person's faith? Now, I'm not trying to criticize another person's religion. I mean, anyone's free to believe what they want. But that, to me, sounds unfortunate. That's why God said we're not supposed to make graven images because you become like what you look at. What are you looking at? What do you watch? What do you listen to? If you want to become like Jesus, you've got to look at Jesus. I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, I, you know, I'm so old now that most of you probably barely even know who Elvis Presley was. You still know? You know. He was older than me, and I'm old. Yeah, but when I was growing up, my mother used to write songs for Elvis Presley, and she knew him. And she even took me to a press conference to meet him once when he was in New York City, sang at Madison Square Garden. And I was about your age. And uh, you know how he died. Pretty much drugs celebrity killed him. He wasn't a very happy man. Started out singing in church. And he wanted to sing for the Lord, but he was so talented and popular and people talked him into uh, getting contracts and making money and he just got pulled into that whole lifestyle. My wife and I went to church one day and after church we were invited home to someone's house for dinner. Matter of fact, the person who invited us to dinner I saw today. They're here. And there at their dinner was someone who looked like Elvis Presley, an older version of Elvis Presley. And I'll just say his name was Joe. And while we were eating dinner, he told me an interesting story. He said, I have been an Elvis Presley impersonator for 20 years. And what happened to him, he went to an Elvis Presley concert when he was, you know, a teenager. I don't remember 
exactly what age, but he saw all the girls swooning and all the people screaming, and he thought, that's what I want to do. I want to be like Elvis Presley. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be popular. I want to be good-looking. And so he began to fixate on Elvis Presley. And he went home, and uh, he got a guitar, and he learned to play it. He got all of Elvis's records. That's back when, before cassette tapes, and not to mention CDs. And he'd play the records over and over again and memorize all of Elvis's songs. He went to the Elvis Presley movies, and he was a bad actor. Matter of fact, my mother wrote some songs that are in a couple of movies that he did, one called Girls, 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 and, and King of the Whole Wide World anyway. But uh, he'd go and he'd watch these movies. Back then, you could go to a movie, and you'd watch it once, and when it was over, that crowd would go out, a new crowd would come in, but you could sit there and watch it again if you wanted. And he'd sit there and he'd watch it again and again. And he wallpapered his room with Elvis Presley posters. Anytime there was an Elvis Presley concert within hundreds of miles, he'd go. He bought Elvis Presley paraphernalia, little statuettes and anything that was related to him. He just idolized him. Dyed his hair, learned to sing, actually had a pretty good voice. By the time Elvis Presley died, he was one of the first ones that began to imitate Elvis Presley. Started at some nightclubs, and then he actually got paid and went to Vegas and different places. Now, by the time we met him, he was a portly 50-something-year-old Elvis. And he still had the sideburns and the hair, and of course it was dyed. And, and he said, you know, he said, I realize I can't do this much longer. There's all these younger guys coming up that are more talented and better looking than me. And he said, uh, I don't even know who I am. He said, from the time I was a teenager, I've been wanting to be somebody else, and now I realize they're dead. I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. That's why he was at the Seventh-day Adventist potluck. He said, I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist, but I started going to those concerts, and I began to idolize Elvis Presley. And, you know, when I met him, actually it was Karen and I, he was still making $10,000 for a concert in Japan. Even as he kind of looked, like I said, a little portly Elvis Presley, and he was still making all that money, but he said... I realize I can't do this anymore, and I don't have a wife. And I thought to myself when I met this guy, people who would see him when he was younger would say, wow, it's weird. It's like looking at Elvis. He's just like him. He knew how to walk like him and talk like him and hang his lip like him. I mean, every little idiosyncrasy from just studying him. That uh, I thought to myself, what would happen if young people would do with Jesus what Joe did with Elvis? What if we would become so infatuated with being like that man that came down from heaven and lived for 33 and a half years to show us what God was like, study his life, study his teaching, look at how he reacted in all those situations and say, he's my idol. Now, you know, they got TV programs in America called Idol and who wants to be a star and who wants to be a millionaire and everybody thinks fame and fortune is going to make you happy. And you're not supposed to worship those kind of idols. But there's one idol you can worship. That's Jesus. The only one you're supposed to worship, it's so hard to get young people to worship because they got all of these worldly versions of it that they're never going to make you happy. You know, my mom was in show business and we knew actors and actresses and, and I could name names for you and stuff. And, and I had one kid that I knew growing up. He actually had, uh, he was on daytime television. He was a star child star 
And he locked himself in the garage. He had money. He was healthy. No health problems. He was extremely talented. He was good looking. Locked himself in the, his parents' garage, turned on the car, and killed himself with the exhaust. And I could never figure out why. And my mom said he was just very unhappy. And he had everything a lot of these kids want. It's not what you think. You see, the devil sucks young people into that lifestyle, thinking it's going to bring them happiness. How many of you have heard about movie stars that end up in jail for drugs? Or they end up committing suicide? And they've got all the talent and all the worship. It's empty. You know, the only thing that really brings happiness is having God in your mind and in your life. But it's not going to happen just by your praying a prayer. You can pray and accept Jesus right now, but then what do you do? you still got to learn to be a new person. And that's going to happen with the choices of what you look at and what you listen to is going to determine who you are. Every day you're making decisions about what do I want to be? It's what do you want to look at? What do you want to read? What do you want to do? Let me give you a, a, a couple of other thoughts here. Well, see, i got to figure out how to use this thing. Here we go. All right, I read you that verse in Philippians 4.8. There's one more. You are transformed. You know what, how film used to work? I guess even digital cameras work this way. The, you know when you take a picture, you see the little lens open up real quick and close? It imprints briefly on the film an image, and it's captured. Your soul is like a photographic plate. You are capturing images all the time that are impressed on your heart, and that's affecting who you become. Especially when you're young, something happens where you are looking for your identity. You don't even realize that you are. But there, you've been made by God for you to be absorbing who you are. Typically, you get it from your parents. My wife and I were out kayaking down a river, Eel River, almost nobody there. We went for a walk together parked our kayaks with our friends that were camping with us. I mean, we'd go two days down this river. We didn't see no person, no house. It's way out in the wilderness. So Karen and I were out walking, and we going up the river, and we saw this baby duck. I mean, a little bitty peeper, just a little bitty duck. And there's no other ducks around. And we thought, well, what's what this thing's all by itself. We looked around thought, it's going to get gobbled up by some coyote or something. And so we kind of chased it a little bit. First it ran from us, you know. It was a little duck. It couldn't go very fast. It was on the, the river bar. Grabbed up this little duck and held it. It's peep, 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 peep. It's so cute. It's this little furry gray ball. And so we thought, let's just show the people in the camp. There's no parents around, no other ducks, and may as well show them. So we brought it back to the camp. Oh, isn't it cute? And everybody's looking at the little duck. Peep, peep, peep. What are we going to feed it? We're trying to feed it bugs, and we couldn't get it to eat anything. And so finally we thought, well, you know, what do we do? So we brought it down to the river and we let go of it and we walked back to the camp and it kind of looked around and it followed us back to the camp. And it stayed with us all that night. Peep, 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 you know, just... And we were so, thought, you know, how long is the poor thing going to last? And finally we had to pack up camp and kayak down the river. And uh, we all loaded up in our boats and we said goodbye, little duck, and we waved and hoped its mother would find it before a wolf or an eagle found it. And we took off down the creek, and the little thing's on the shore. Beep, 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 beep. It jumped in the water and started following us. And so we thought, we can't leave it behind. 
And so we put the, the uh, little duck up on the bow of the kayak, but we knew we were going through rapids in a little bit, some rough water. I mean, we've gone down stuff that's four and five, if you know what that means, uh, rapids. And, and so we went through some rapids, and the duck got washed off. But you know, those things can swim like ducks. <laughs> and I was surprised. It, was, it got washed off the kayak, and the thing was just bouncing like a bubble on the top <laughs> of the water. And it didn't sink at all. It just went right through the rapids. We got through the other side. It came and it jumped up on the kayak. <laughs> you ever seen little baby ducks get on the back of their mothers? They do that. Yeah, they could just climb up on the wings. And it adopted us. And then we later found out that little ducks, it happens with geese or ducks, they bond with what they look at. And they think that's what I'm supposed to be. And they'll just follow you everywhere and be in the absence of its mother. We don't know what happened to the egg got separated. Or, but this thing hatched out. Karen and I were the first thing it looked at. And it thought it was a people. And it stayed with us for the rest of that uh, camping trip. We finally took it home, gave it to some friends who had a pond. And, and uh, that's the end of the story. But uh, you will bond with, and you're different from a duck. You get to kind of rationalize and think, what do I want to be like? Who do I want to follow? And you're making choices every day with the, if you're watching programs on TV, if you're playing games, in the music that you listen to, it's all working together to define who you're going to become. I saw you yawn. That always makes me nervous. I feel like, hey, I'm losing them. I've got to talk quick now. I want to read something to you. Psalm 101, verse 3. Now, I, I don't know if you have Bibles here. Some of you do. Uh, if you want to look any of these up later, let me just give this to you. I will set, here's what King David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Now, sometimes you see things that are bad and you don't want to see them and you can't kind of help it. And uh, in my hotel room last night, I heard a terrible fight. I'm sure hoping they weren't people from our convention. In the room next to me, they were screaming. I didn't know whether I should call down to the front desk. Was that you fighting? No, I also heard it. You heard it too. <laughs> yeah, well, it was just, it was like out of control. I had no control over it. I mean, you know, you're going to see things, you're going to hear things you can't control, but what if you deliberately want to look at and listen to what's evil? Listen to this. It says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, you're all going to get tempted. Everybody's tempted. Jesus was tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. But you don't want to invite temptation. If you've got a problem with ice cream, don't take a job at Baskin-Robbins. You're looking for trouble. Or let's suppose someone has a problem with alcohol and they keep pushing their shopping cart back and forth uh, up the liquor section and the wine section of the supermarket, just kind of tempting the devil to tempt them. You want to stay as far away from temptation as you can. And if you struggle with thinking violent thoughts, maybe you get angry and you got a bad temper, why are you going to watch violent programs? Is that going to help you have more self-control? You can make choices that are going to help you become more like Jesus. And by the way, can you sin with your thoughts are you with me? Guys, listen. I have attention deficit disorder. 
I, I had problems in school. I only made it through ninth grade because I have a hard time paying attention. And praise the Lord, I finally got a GED. But I am easily distracted. So you guys got to help me because I've got a medical condition, okay? So if you're talking to each other while I'm talking, I forget what I'm saying, and I'm going to have to start the whole sermon over again, okay? So let's all work together, all right? See, now I forgot where I was. Or we got to talk about Grand Theft Auto again. No. <laughs> can, you sin, can you sin with your mind? Did Jesus say, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you can commit adultery in your heart? And girls, that works both ways, doesn't it? You can look at guys and be thinking the wrong thing. So you can sin with your thinking without ever doing it. Does Jesus say if you want to murder someone that you can be guilty of murder in your mind? He does say that. If you're angry with your brother without a cause, you can be guilty of murder. You can be dishonest sometimes without actually lying by your gestures. The Lord wants us to be pure in heart. Now, who's going to see God? How many of you know the Beatitudes? The ones who are going to see God, blessed are the, who knows the rest of that? Pure in heart. Who's going to see God? Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God, right? Y'all check on me. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. How many of you want to see God when he comes in peace and be able to dwell with him in heaven? Who's going to see him? The pure in heart. Well, our hearts aren't very pure right now. So the Lord needs to purify our hearts. Can we cooperate with God in having pure hearts? We can work with Him. Now, if it's a sin, think about this. If it's a sin for guys and girls to look at the opposite sex and think lustful thoughts, you can sin in your mind without ever anyone knowing. You could look just as holy and churchly as you want. Churchly, I just made up a word. You can look just as holy and churchly as you want and smile and try and look sanctimonious and pious and, and be thinking wicked things and nobody's going to know except who? Well, you and God. So let's suppose you're struggling with your thoughts and you would never murder anybody. Well, agree it's wrong to murder? Then what about being entertained by murder? If it's wrong to commit murder, would it be wrong to be entertained by murder? Now, I'm talking to me like I'm talking to you. I don't care about these sentimental programs and love stories. Guys don't care about that stuff. You know, girls get all caught up in all of these dramas and these emotional love stories. And, oh, what, what's he going to say? And, and the guys want to know, oh, is the cowboy going to shoot the other cowboy off his horse? Look at that <laughs> shot that he made. He shot him from 300 yards. What a great shot. Look at how his body flew 50 feet off the horse as he... You know why you're laughing? Because it's true. <laughs> it is true, right? And so we might not ever think we, about actually doing those things, but sometimes, you know, the action and the romance, is it good for your soul? You have to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus look at? Because we will become like what we look at. You know, they've got, um, there's a butterfly that is in uh, Africa. It's a very pretty butterfly. And it's blue. And it's kind of iridescent. You all know what iridescent means? It's like the neck of a hummingbird kind of glitters in the light. 
this is blue iridescent butterfly and it's got little white spots on its wings and it's just beautiful to behold but you know what it eats dung it eats the dung the manure from the other animals and it looks really good on the outside until you find out what it feeds on all of a sudden you don't want to catch those things for pets do you when you find out what they've been eating you know there's some young people that have grown up in Christian homes and they go to church every week and they might look good on the outside but they're not feeding their souls the right kind of food and that's going to affect what you are and how heaven sees you so how do you know what's the right thing or the wrong thing to watch is there a way that we can test well you have to you know when you have the Holy Spirit you have to ask what would Jesus do a man went to visit his friend who was an artist and uh, when the artist was painting his friend noticed that next to the easel and next to his palette of all these different color paints he had a basket with these colored gems they probably weren't real but they looked like it they were all different colors and they were blues and purples and and he said why do you keep that basket of gems there by your easel when you're painting he said well you know when I'm painting and I'm looking at all these different paints and I'm mixing different combinations of paints he said I can start getting mixed up about what a true color is and says as long as I keep that basket of gems they never change says I always know what true colors are well in the same way the only way you're gonna know what's really right and what's really wrong is not by looking at everybody around you but you need to look at what is the Lord saying is right and wrong what is it, what's the criteria in God's law or in his word let me give you an example I remember a girl at my school got sent home from school Vicki Ornstein now you don't know who she is so it doesn't matter I don't know any of the kids I grew up with you guys went to Christian schools and you Karen my wife went to Christian school for about 15 years she knows people everywhere I don't know any of the kids I went to school with I went to 14 different schools because none of them were Christian I don't know where any of them are but I do remember Vicki we used to walk to school together she was my age her sister Kathy was my brother's age and we went to PS 87 and Vicki got sent home from school you know why she was immodestly dressed. Now listen carefully. This is probably 1966, 1967. We went to public school in New York City. Any of you know about public school in New York City? They're pretty free. Today, at most Adventist schools, even Christian schools, the girls could wear what Vicky wore to school that day and not have any problem but the public school when I was growing up said that's inappropriate you need to go home and tell your mother to get you something else to wear now what happened let me let me tell you a secret how many of you believe you're young but how many of you think that the morals in the world are getting worse most of you believe that that means they're going down you know when I was growing up it was considered scandalous if you watched a program during the daytime where a man and woman could be seen in the bedroom fully clothed with their pajamas sitting on the edges of a bed just the implications of a man and a woman sleeping together was considered oh, 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 don't look 
Do you know who the first couple was that was seen, married couple seen, sharing a bed? Just sleeping, just sleeping in the bed. That's all they were doing. It was Fred and Wilma Flintstone. The first, it's, it's true actually, because it looked so innocent. And then once that happened, they started showing the actors do it. And first, of course, they're just sleeping in the bed. But you know, now, daytime television, the middle of the day, they'll show just about anything going on I've gone to visit families, give a Bible study, and uh, I'm trying to talk to the family, and they don't turn off the TV while I'm talking to them. I've had to ask before, do you mind if we turn that off so I can focus? And, and the kids are sitting there, little kids, and they're watching daytime television where adults are flopping around in bed in the middle of the day on regular television. And the parents don't seem to care. Now, I know that seems pretty graphic for me to talk to you like that, but you know why I'm saying that? Because it's changed. The standard of the world used to be here. Standard of the church has always tried to be a little higher than the world. So let's say this is where the world is and this is where the church is. Notice carefully. As the standard of the world goes down and it gets to where you know the morals are lower and lower, the standard of the church figures, as long as we're better than the world, we're doing okay. Look, we're better than the world, but the world's going worse and worse, and the church says, but as long as we're better than the world, and over time what ends up happening is the standards of the church end up getting lower than what the standards of the world used to be. You with me? So how do you know you're not getting caught in the current and being swept along with the world? How do you know? It's like, uh, how do you know your piano's not out of tune. I've got a piano up at our house in Covilo. We've got a cabin up in the hills. As soon as we built the house, we moved the piano in. It's been there now for 30 years or 27 years. We've never had it tuned professionally. I've tried to tune it. But you know what I did? I got an electric guitar tuner one day. We've been playing the piano for years. Kind of sounds like it's okay. I got an electric guitar tuner and I took it up there and I played middle C and then I played it on the guitar tuner. Man, the thing was a whole step off. I don't know if you know what that means. The whole piano, every key, they all kind of stretched out together slowly over the same time. I made little adjustments along the way so they sort of were in tune with each other, but they were completely flat. They figured as long as we're in tune with each other, it doesn't matter how off-key we are. Kids do that. We want to know what's right, and instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to be? We kind of look around and say, as long as I'm in tune with everybody else. You know, the shoes that you wear and the colors that you pick and the hairdos that you choose, how do you figure that out? Come on, be honest. Don't you kind of go, what are they wearing? How are they cutting their hair? What kind of clothes? Oh, that's the cool shoes. That's a cool shirt. And then someone will make fun of someone else and say, oh, look at, look at what he's wearing. And go, oh, I guess I'm wearing the wrong thing. And they go home and change. Because it's mortifying not to be in style. Right? I mean, come on. Don't we do that a little bit? And that's normal. You, you know, everyone wants to fit in. But how do you know whether or not you're fitting in with God at the same time? You become like what you look at. Are you reading your Bibles? Are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? You know, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, Seeing then that we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, that so easily besets us and let us run with endurance the race that is before us 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. You, you need to focus on Jesus. Whatever you focus on, you become like. A man was uh, walking home from work one snowy day, and as he was walking home, he saw three boys walking home from school, and they were getting into a fight. And the man realized that there really wasn't anything to fight about. They were just needing something to do. And he said, hey, boys, come here. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would, would you like to try a race? And they said, yeah. He said, yeah, look, let's settle this with a race if you want to race. See who's better. They said, all right. They're all like 12, 13 years old. They said, but this is a different kind of race. It just snowed. There was a field near the town. The man said, look, I'm on my way home. I've got to walk to the far side of that field. You guys get here by the fence. There's freshly fallen snow here. So I'm going to count to three. And at the, as soon as I say go, I want you to run across the field, and here's how you're going to win the race. Whoever has the straightest tracks in the snow wins. And so he got around, he shouted to the boys, he said, on your mark, get set, go. And they all took off running. One boy, as he was running, he wanted to see if his tracks were straight. And so he's running along, he'd look over his shoulder. Have any of you ever tried to ride a bicycle on a straight line while you're looking over your shoulder? You will swerve. You cannot help it. Do you know if you're in a desert and it's a foggy day and you can't see, you will walk in a circle. They've proven that. If you have no visual reference, you will always slowly go in a circle one way or the other. You favor one side or the other. So this one boy, he keeps looking back and he's curving. And every time he look over his shoulder, the other boy, he wanted to know how his friends were doing. So instead of looking at his tracks, he's running along, he's looking like that. I'll admit I saw the news the other day, and I watched one of the Olympic races where Usain Bolt, he just won this race. An incredible runner. But as he gets down the final stretch, he has this habit of looking <laughs> and seeing, well, you're not supposed to do that. He looks and he sees if anybody is anywhere near him, and it's like if they're not near him, he kind of slacks off a little bit. But uh, you're supposed to stay focused. You know which boy run, won the race. He's the one who didn't look to his right and he didn't look to his left, but he looked at the man and he ran directly towards the man and he won the race. And you know, that's the key to being a Christian is you become like what you look at. If you fix your eyes on Jesus and he's your goal. Any of you ever hear of uh, the great Blondin? The great Blondin, real guy. He was the most incredible daredevil. I don't encourage you to try this. He was the first one to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. You've heard of people doing that? He did it many, many times. Matter of fact, for a while there, he was doing it because it was such a good income, he'd get a crowd. And there's a lot of stories about him walking across the, uh, Niagara Falls on this tightrope. He'd get out there in the middle and he'd do a handstand and, you know, the water's pouring down in the spray. And Niagara Falls actually put out more water back when he did this. They've dammed some of it now to go through a power station. But this is before the power station. And it would roar. And it'd send up the steam and, and foam. And there are rainbows everywhere because of all the, the power of the water coming off. It didn't bother him. He'd walk across. One time, he uh, walked across pushing a wheelbarrow. He used to use a, a stick for balance. And he went across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. And when he got to the other side, he said, how many of you believe that I can push a man across in a wheelbarrow? And several people said, we believe you can do it. We think you can do it. He said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> but 
the reason I'm telling you the story is folks would say, when you do these feats and you cross Niagara Falls, and he went between skyscrapers in New York and he did a bunch of uh, stunts, and you know what's amazing, most of those guys end up making a mistake and they fall and they die somewhere along the way. He died of old age. He actually lived a full life, which is amazing. They said, how can you do that without becoming afraid and falling and being filled with terror? He said, I don't look at the water. He said, I don't look at the waterfall. I don't look at the people down there. He says, when I get on the rope and I start to cross, he said, I fix a star on the far side of the cable, and I put my eyes on the star, and I just uh, go one foot in front of the other. How can you live a Christian life in this world where there's so many distractions? The devil is trying to get you to look to the right, to look to the left. And he doesn't care which side of the road you fall off. Just fall off the road. The only way is you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. He's got to be your idol. And as you do that, you become like him. You know, pastor one time went to a, uh, a dinner after church, and there was a wealthy doctor there. And the doctor came up to the pastor. He said, Pastor, he said, you work awful hard. I appreciate your dedication. He said, here, I've got you a couple of tickets to the movie. You need to take your wife and go relax and enjoy yourself. You're too serious. And the pastor said to the doctor, I want to thank you for your thoughtfulness. He said, but I can't accept them. And he said, why not? And he said, well, I don't go to movies. He said, but pastor, he said, you know, you need to be, don't take yourself so seriously. You need balance in your life. He said, doctor, you do brain surgery. Is that right? I said, yeah. He said, would you do brain surgery without washing your hands? I said, no, not on your life. He said, you can't do your work with dirty hands. He said, I can't do my work with a dirty heart. And if you're going to do the work that God has for you, you need to be pure in heart. So how does that happen? One more story. I'm looking at the clock. I'm supposed to be done at nine. Is that right? There was this man... Elmer, who was a bachelor, no relation to me. He was an unmarried bachelor. And uh, he lived in this small town, and he worked for years, and he retired, and he just kind of lived a really simple life. And every day, his r ritual, after he retired, he's by himself, he would go down to the coffee shop, and he'd eat his breakfast because he had no wife to cook for him, and he liked the way they cooked. And then on the way home, there was an antique store. He'd go one way and he'd come back the other way. And the antique store had this incredibly beautiful, exquisite vase in the window. And maybe it was the way that the owner of the store shone the lights on it or something, but it was just beautiful. It had swirls to it. It was blown glass with all these different colors. And, and he just thought, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he'd stand and he'd admire it and he'd admire it. And it was They'd polish it and keep all the dust off it and always glisten, but uh, it's a little expensive. And one day, after for months, he'd stop and he'd pause and he'd look at it. And the owner of the store saw that he'd always, Elmer always stopped and he looked at the vase. And he came out one day while he was admiring it. He said, look, Elmer, he says, I see you stopping and looking at that thing every day. He says, why don't you buy it? He said, oh, no. He says, he said, he said, I'm not an arts person. He said, but you, you're enjoying it, don't you? Yeah, I do enjoy looking. He said, why don't you take it home? Put it on your mantle. Look at it every day. I'll make you a deal. He said, all right. So they worked out a deal. Elmer bought the vase. And they were kind of excited. They wrapped it up. He was afraid he was going to break it carrying it home. So he carried it home carefully. 
put it down on the floor, unwrapped it, and looked around the room. He said, now what do I do with it? And he had a mantle on his fireplace, and he thought, well, you know, look up there. It's not right near the chair. He says, when I sit in my main chair in the living room, I could be looking at it and just enjoying myself. But the mantle was, you know, kind of dusty. So he hadn't, he hadn't, he's a bachelor, you know. So he thought, I better clean that up. This thing's all shiny and clean. It's got about six years' worth of dust on the... So he cleaned off the, uh, the mantle, and he set it up there. And he went, and he sat down in his chair. He thought, oh, that's so pretty. But he said, boy, the paint behind it, I don't, it's peeling. He said, I haven't done anything about that paint in years. And, and he thought, you know, it'll look a lot better if I painted behind it. So he very carefully took it down, and he got some paint from the hardware store the next day, and he painted the wall, and he put it back up there. But you know what happens when you start painting? You have no idea how faded your paint is until you put new paint on. And once he put the new paint behind the vase, he saw how bad the other paint was, and he thought, oh, I better paint the whole room. And as he started painting the room, he went to take the curtains down, and all this dust from 30 years came billowing out of the curtains as he pulled them down. You know, the sunshine of the window, he took the curtains down and just filling. He thought, that's going to wreck my vase. Someone said, Elmer, it's okay to buy new curtains every 30 years. So he went out and he bought some new curtains and he hung them up. And uh, he put up the new curtains, he painted the walls, and he sat down. And then he noticed for the first time that springs were popping out of his chair and the stuffing was coming out. And he thought, this is a comfortable chair, but, you know, maybe it doesn't look very good in this room now with the new walls and new curtains. So he bought a new chair, a nice one, even cushier, leaned back, legs went up. He could lean back, look at the vase and... And he couldn't wait to get home and look at it. And one day on his way home, he thought, you know, the inside of the house is looking pretty good. So the outside, he said, I've got to do something about it. I had no idea my fence was falling down. So he patched the fence, painted the outside of the house. Oh, I forgot to tell you about what he did with the carpet inside. You notice on the way, he had worn trails in the carpet. Do you know that only 20% of the carpet in your home gets 80% of the wear? That's a law of life. It's called the 20-80 rule. You know, like right under the desk, I've worn out the carpet in my house. I got a trail in my office from the door to my desk. The other carpet's good. I just thought, too bad I can't just cut out the trail and replace it because the other carpet's fine. In the bedroom, oh, the carpet's great, especially under the bed because we never touch it. But there where I walk to my side of the bed, I've worn out the carpet. So I thought, maybe I could cut the good stuff out from under the bed and take the old stuff, put it under the bed, where no one ever sees it anyway, right? That's economical. So Elmer changed his carpet, changed his paint, changed his fence, changed his curtains. And then when he sat down in his chair, he realized, I'm wearing the same clothes that I was wearing 30 years ago. Someone said, Elmer, you need to do something about your fashion statement. He bought some new clothes. He became a new person in a new house, and you know what made the difference? He introduced into his life something that was beautiful and pure, and it transformed everything else in his life. Sometimes just one thing, through contrast, changes everything else. And when we invite Jesus into our lives, and we realize how good and how pure and how lovely and how noble he is, he sort of changes everything else in our lives. You might think, what's the right thing to look at? What's the right kind of music? I could talk a long time about that, and you probably already heard some good talks on that. What's the right kind of thing to read? Or when your friends are telling stories, what's the right kind of story to listen to? Or when should you walk away from your friend and say, uh, we'll talk later, I don't want to listen to that. 
you got to make those decisions because that's going to be who you are, is what you think. It's what you take into the windows of your soul. You know what keeps the spaceman alive when he's in space? He's wearing that suit. If he should get one hole in that space suit, it's not going to go very well for him. And the Lord wants to surround you with his spirit. And so you need to work with him and say, Lord, am I, am I reading stuff I shouldn't be reading? Am I watching things that maybe I shouldn't be watching or listening to things I shouldn't be listening to? And when you invite Christ into your heart, he can transform all that through his spirit and you can participate in becoming a new person. You know, as we close, I just want to pray with you. 80-20. You might remember 20% of what I just told you 80 minutes from now. But I hope you remember some of it. Because if you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will become like what you look at. And that's my challenge. You can make a decision right now and say, Lord, I want to be like Christ. A Christian is a follower of Christ. But you've got to look at him. You've got to worship him. Read your Bible. Do you do that every day? Pray. Listen when you go to church. And I know sometimes the pastor's boring. Sometimes I'm boring. But you'll get something out of it if you're there to worship God. And ask the Lord into your hearts and uh, ask Him for His help to give you that purity of heart because those are the ones who will see God. Is that your desire? Can I pray with you right now for that? Why don't we... How do you close here? You want to stand and pray or... What do you do? Okay. Let's stand up and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we've been talking about some of the basics tonight of wanting to be pure in heart and making sometimes difficult choices to be like you in spite of what the world is doing. Jesus, please come into our lives. Show us who you really are. You've promised if we search for you, that if we search with all of our hearts, that you'll reveal yourself to us. You've promised if we draw near to you through prayer and seeking you in your word, that you will draw near to us. Be with each of these young people, Lord. Fill them with your spirit. I pray that uh, help them to have victory in their lives so that they can make good choices about what they look at and read and listen to and, and the friends they choose so they can keep their eyes on you and become like you. We thank you. Thank you for the Sabbath. And just pray for the outpouring of your spirit during this convention. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.